Well, good morning, church. For those of you I haven't met, my name's Cody. I'm privileged and humbled, honestly, to serve as one of your pastors here. And I'm excited to think about God's word with you all this morning. One of my favorite scenes from church history happened in the year 1785 between a well-seasoned Baptist pastor, his name was John Ryland, and a young and upcoming pastor whose name was William Carey. And these pastors, much like your pastors do at Hamilton, they would meet together with other pastors from the area and think about theological topics and missions together. And John Ryland asked young William Carey to come up with a topic for discussion. Now, you need to understand that in the late 18th century, there wasn't really such a thing as international missions. At least not a lot was happening in regards to it. But as a young pastor, Carey said, William Carey wrote that he was first becoming awakened to missions by reading the, the last voyage of Captain Cook. He saw Captain Cook travel the world, and he thought, why can't we, and he was also reading scripture, of course, he says, why can't we, like, travel around the world and take the gospel? And so this was the topic that William Carey thought, I'll bring up among these pastors. And so this was the topic. Shouldn't we be taking the gospel to the nations? If it's the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it should be the duty of all those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all nations. And in a stern manner, John Ryland, the well-seasoned pastor, said, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathens, he'll do so without your aid or mine. Of course, William Carey disagreed, and he would go on to be a missionary in India for the rest of his life and become known as the father of modern missions. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why John Ryland responded the way he did. Some have thought that the apostles already completed that original command to Jesus. Some have thought that God is so powerful that we don't need to do anything, which is true but very misleading and actually not true at all. So either way, it's safe to say whatever was going on, they misunderstood their purpose, they misunderstood their mission, and it was disastrous. You don't know your purpose, you don't know your mission, you miss out on what you're supposed to be doing. To be a good soldier, you need to know your mission. To be a good employee, you need to know your role, your purpose, your mission. And what about you today, Christian? What about us as a church? Do we know our purpose? Your heart is beating, your lungs are breathing. Why? Why did you get out of bed this morning? What are you raising your kids to be? What do you want them to be when they grow up? Now, maybe you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. But God in his word has actually revealed his purpose for your life this morning. And I pray that you will see and believe that today. But perhaps you are a Christian here this morning and you kind of see where I'm going with this thing and you're getting nervous or you're getting ashamed talk about witness, we talk about evangelism, and you're ready to kind of slip out the back. Don't do that, security's here, they're not gonna let you leave. 
Don't check out on me, friends. God is gracious, and he uses his word and his spirit to take our sin, our failures, our weakness, and transform them. So if you feel weak today, if you haven't done a good job in this area today, stay put and let God speak to you. And maybe some of you are here this morning and, and you're a mature Christian, you consider yourself that, and you're doing really well, just to remind you that this Christian life thing is a marathon. So think of today's passage as like a drink of water to keep you going on for Jesus and his kingdom. So we're going to think about our purpose today, our mission as, as Christians. And so if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And in the book of Acts, we discover that the death and resurrection of Jesus was just the beginning. Things were just getting started. It's not the end, rather, it's just getting started. In part one of his writings, Luke, who's the author of Luke and Acts, shows us what Jesus began to do. So in Luke, he shows us what Jesus started to do, part one. And then in the book of Acts, part two, he shows us what Jesus continues to do, even today. And so let's read Acts chapter one. I'm going to begin in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times, or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold... Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you will return in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Don't like preaching outside for this reason. You can laugh at me, it's okay. It's funny. This is the word of the Lord. So here we find in the book of Acts, what is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is alive. Don't miss that fact. After he suffered, Jesus is alive and he's teaching. Doesn't seem like all that much has changed yet. He's with his apostles and he's alive and he's teaching. He's providing evidence that he's alive. He's speaking about the kingdom of God and he's describing the imminent outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you and I begin to hear fireworks, it usually means that the 4th of July is close by. There's always a wacko in like November or December who's launching fireworks off. But typically when you hear fireworks, you know it's about time for the 4th of July. Now, for the apostles, 
When they started hearing these words, these ideas that Jesus was talking about, it was like fireworks going off in their head. The kingdom of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the promises of freedom, independence, and victory, no doubt seized their thoughts. The Spirit's coming, Jesus said, not many days from now. And look at verse 6. So the disciples ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it time for you, Jesus? Notice they're saying, Jesus, you're going to do this. Is it time for you to reign on earth as king? Is it time for you to finally defeat our enemies? And what we learn from Jesus' response in verses 7 and verse 8 is it's like a no but yes. In other words, your expectations are off, apostles, but you're on to something. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You see, the apostles, they're probably thinking about a one-time, end-time, climactic event. And they want to know if this is going to happen right now. The Spirit's coming, so is the kingdom coming. And Jesus' response to them is, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about it. Don't buy books about it. The Father has set it, and that's what matters. So Jesus corrects their flawed expectation, but in verse 7. But notice he continues to answer their question in verse 8. Lord, is the kingdom being restored? And what does Jesus say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You see how Jesus is answering their question? Don't worry about the timetable. Don't draw a chart. Don't try to figure all those things out. But the disciples ask Jesus, will you restore the kingdom? And notice what Jesus says. You will receive power. Jesus, are you going to do this? Disciples, you will receive power. Jesus, is it time to restore this to Israel? Jesus replies, you're going to the end of the earth. So Jesus is transforming their question. Will you restore? No, you will. Is it Israel? Yeah, that's where it's starting, but it's going global. Jesus does not deny the reality of this kingdom or this idea that God is ruling and reigning, but he's showing it's coming in a way that they did not expect, and its boundaries extend beyond what they had assumed. This kingdom is being restored through spirit-empowered witnesses to the entire world. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, that's exactly what happens. But here's what I want us to get from this passage today. So here's the main idea. Christian, you exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. Let me say that again. Christian, you exist. You're breathing. Your heart is beating. You can speak. You exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. We're going to walk through this in three points. I'll tell you them as we go along. First point is this. Number one, witness. It's who you are. Witness, it's who you are. My daughter, who is six years old, Ella, she loves animals. 
All kinds of animals. And lately she has this thing where she says that she is a certain animal. And her two favorite animals to, to consider what she is right now are tigers and wolves. And if she is a tiger, I am to call her tiger. But if she is a wolf, I'm to call her shadow. And when she is in these zones, she tries to act this out by crawling around, by hunting right over there in the backyard and howling when she's a wolf. It's adorable. And I'll, I'll say, Ella, it's time to come inside. My name's not Ella, my name's Shadow, or my name's Tiger. She knows that what you are changes what you do. If you're a tiger, you act like a tiger. If you're a wolf, you act like a wolf. And this is true for us. Our identity affects our thinking, our decisions, our behavior. And notice what Jesus says in verse 8. He says, you are my witnesses. It's a noun. It's who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are his witness. And this isn't a new term to us. Most of our minds probably, when we think of a witness, we go to a courtroom or maybe you've sat in a wedding before and you're a witness to what's going on. A witness is simply somebody who sees something and tells others about it. It's a testimony. You testify. Now, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 43, God speaks to the nations. It's really a fabulous scene. He calls the nations together and he asks them, which of your gods, kind of taunting them, he calls the nations together, which of your gods can tell the future like I can? And he asks the nations, bring your witnesses forward, prove it. And then he looks to Israel and he says, you are my witnesses. You're my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Israel, you are witnesses to the world that I am God. How are the nations to know who God is and what he's like? Couldn't he have just showed up? Yeah, absolutely. But God in his wisdom, in his generosity to share his mission with us, chose a people. And in the old covenant, that was Israel. And we know how their witnessing went. They failed. Now, ultimately, in Isaiah 49, the Lord would raise up a servant from Israel to be a light to the nations. He says that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The true witness came. This is the story of the Gospels in the book of Acts. And his name was Jesus. The Gospel of John says that he was the light of the world. He testified to what God was truly like. He taught what God's kingdom was truly like. And he was the ultimate witness of God's love and God's mercy and God's justice by giving his own life for sinners in his death and in his resurrection. He crushed death. And now Jesus, this ultimate witness of who God is and what he is like, offers forgiveness of sins to anyone who will repent. He offers life both now and forevermore. And you must be united to him. To find life, you must be united to Jesus. And you do that by trusting him, by believing his words, what you're hearing today. And you repent of your sins. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't done that yet, what are you waiting for? 
how much evidence do you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he really died for your sins, and that he offers life? Consider Jesus and follow him today. But for those of us who have followed Jesus, those of us who bear the name Christian, the book of Acts says that we become his witnesses. Jesus points to his apostles and says, you are my witnesses. But witnesses to what? Well, if we keep reading the book of Acts, and you can notice how chapter 1 ends, they need a replacement for Judas. They need to have 12 apostles. Why? 123 says, so that he can become a witness with us to the resurrection. See, they need 12 apostles for this new Israel that's about to explode across the world. And on Pentecost, Peter says in chapter 2 that God raised Jesus from the dead, to which we are all witnesses. It's resurrection. And Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in prison, under house arrest, testifying or witnessing to the kingdom. Being a witness for Jesus is simply proclaiming who Jesus is and living like that's true. And Christian, this isn't only for the apostles. You may be reading this and say, but yeah, Jesus was talking to the apostles. The apostles saw him. They could touch him. I can't do that. Why would this apply to me? Well, every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 5.32, it writes, Luke writes, We are all witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who, will, who obey him. You're given the Spirit so that you can witness to Jesus. And we'll come back to the Spirit in a moment. But not only the Spirit, but you have a Bible. You have a Bible. When Luke's opening up his gospel, he writes, I'm writing to you. We were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that was delivered to us. And I'm writing this orderly account for you so that you can have certainty of the things that were taught. John writes in 1 John, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we proclaim to you. Peter would write in 2 Peter that we don't follow cleverly devised myths when we make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And the early Christians, the early church, when they were trying to figure out what's the standard for determining which books belong in the Bible, which books are authoritative, they didn't make that decision. They were trying to recognize, and they looked to the testimony of eyewitnesses and those associated with them. So Christian, you have the spirit so that you may be a witness and you've been given the word of God, the apostolic witness so that you have your evidence. You bear witness, Christian, to Jesus. Hamilton Baptist Church, we exist to bear witness to Jesus. What greater calling? I mean that. What greater calling could there be on our life than to bear witness to the King of Kings? Your main goal in life your main goal is not to get that job in which you'll devote all your time and energy. Your main goal in life is not to be the best mom in the neighborhood so that you constantly compare yourself to others. Your main goal is not for your candidate to win the next election and to spend your whole life devoted to politics. Your main goal in life is not sports, it's not that next degree, 
It's not even that special person. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that these things are bad. These things are good. Be a great worker. Be the best mom. Do good for our nation. But Christian, above all else and in all those things, you are a witness. It's who you are. Jesus says, you're my witnesses. It's who you are, Christian. You're a witness. Number two. So first point was witness, it's who you are. Second point is witness to the world. Witness to the world. Last year, I, th I think this is one of my last memories. That sounds bad, let me rephrase that. Last year, one of the last things I remember doing before COVID hit was my parents came down and we visited the, the National Air and Space Museum. I trust many of you have been to that, right? Now, I, I like airplanes, I admire spacecraft, but I wasn't like, it just didn't excite me that much. I had these expectations. But whenever I got there, it was much bigger than I anticipated. And I had to write this down because I don't remember these names, but did you see the, anybody seen the black bird that's there? I mean, it's huge and it goes like, am I right, 2,000 miles per hour? Maybe it's a lot faster than that, I don't know. Somebody will correct me after the sermon if I'm wrong. And then I remember walking into the, the, the outer space section. I don't know what it's called, but I've seen space shuttles on TV. I've seen pictures of them. But I could not believe how big Discovery was when I actually walked into that space. It was huge. It exceeded my expectations. And the same thing's going on here in this passage. Remember, the disciples were asking Jesus about Israel. Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is the kingdom coming for us? And Jesus turns that on his head. He doesn't deny that, but he says, that's only where it's beginning. My kingdom's global. Yes, it starts here, but it's just the beginning. Acts 1.8 then becomes the table of contents for the book of Acts. The structure of the book of Acts. We see the gospel start in Jerusalem. We see it break those barriers and go to Samaria and Judea. And then to the end of the earth. Where the gospel is proclaimed, the kingdom advances. Luke starts his, his book, or at least the book of Acts, by writing about the kingdom of God. And he ends by writing about the apostle Paul again, who's under house arrest, proclaiming the kingdom of God. It bookends the book. And friends, this is why we do missions. This is why you should do missions. It's interesting what Luke mentions, if you read the book of Acts. He mentions many of Paul's partners who were with him on mission. Chapter 12, chapter 16, chapter 19, chapter 20. I assume you got all of those. But one commentator noted this. He said, we gain the impression that an intense role was played in the missionary activity of the early church by many men and women who held no other office than that of believer. See what this commentator was reflecting on? He said, it seems like there were a lot of people in Paul's day who weren't elders, as great as that is, who weren't deacons, as great as that is, who weren't leading this and leading that. And you should aspire to those things if God calls you to that. But he says, these were ordinary, everyday Christians. They held no other office but believers, and they were supporting the Apostle Paul's missionary work. 
So this certainly means that, brother and sister, you need to pray for the gospel to spread. You ought to be giving of your resources so that the gospel may spread. You should, in fact, consider going so that the gospel may spread. Whether that's one of the short-term opportunities that we provide here at Hamilton Baptist Church, or whether that's long-term, maybe that means taking your job and reloading, relocating somewhere around the world, because Jesus is worth it. Missions. We go to the world. But there's, there's more going on here than geography. Are you tracking with me? To cross the border, what? Was to cross language barriers. To go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the end of the earth was to cross ethnicities. And this is clearly happening in Acts chapter 2. You can read the list of nations that were represented at Pentecost. So Jesus is here telling his apostles, you're to speak for me, a man who was considered a blasphemer and executed because he claimed he was the God of Israel. He says to his apostles, you're to speak for me, offer a place in the people of God to Samaritans, your historic ethnic enemy. You're to declare that Jesus is Lord to the Romans. Yeah, that guy who was recently crucified as an enemy of Rome. You're to declare to him that he's Lord. And he's more powerful than Caesar. This gospel, this message of the kingdom is for all people. And we know how this ends. Remember, our, our God, the Father, has this set in time, and he tells us how it ends in Revelation 7. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language will be represented standing before the throne of God. So our mission will be successful. It will happen. Don't you want to be part of something that you know will succeed? And here it is. Witnesses to the world. How are you working toward this? How are we working toward this as a church? Where can we grow as our country and our county even becomes more ethnically diverse? Do you get upset about that? Or do you see that as an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus to the nations even in your backyard? May our church grow in reflecting this. Listen to Pastor Stephen's sermon from last week where he talked about this at the end. Witness, it's who you are in witness to the world. And finally, witness, because you're not alone. Witness, you're not alone. You may be thinking, this all sounds really good. This sounds really exciting, but it feels rather impossible, or it doesn't feel like this is for me. Maybe if there's a better Christian out there, I can see how God would use that individual. I don't have the words to say. I'm not quite that bold. I'm just not able to do that. Besides, look what happens next in our passage. Jesus leaves. He's like gone into the sky. What's up with that? And Acts, I've read Acts before, and I know it's filled with 
opposition and persecution. So I'm weak, Jesus is gone, and we have opposition. That sounds really promising. But brothers and sisters, don't miss what's going on in this passage. You are not alone. It's true, you are powerless in and of yourself. But there's one who empowers you. Don't you see the triune God in this passage? All three persons of the Trinity are involved in this. The Father in verse 6 has this timetable all under control. Sorry, verse 7. And Jesus didn't leave you. He didn't go to explore Mars. That's not why he ascended into heaven. He's not hanging out on the moon. And if you just find the right telescope, maybe you can find him. No, he ascended to his cosmic throne where he is king of kings and lord of lords so that he could give you the empowerment of his spirit. You will receive power. That's what he said. My witnesses, you're going to receive power so that you can actually do this. I know you're weak. I know you're going to make mistakes. I know you're going to say the wrong words. It's okay. I'm giving you power. I know people won't naturally listen to you, but I'm going to give you power. I know you don't have the courage. I'm going to give you power. I know you feel guilty right now because you haven't been proclaiming my name. I'm going to give you power. All three persons of the triune God are here. Specifically, what's this power for? Well, it's not power so that you can make your name great. It's not power so that you can do whatever you want. It's power to witness. Acts 4.31, they were gathered together, filled with the Spirit. And what happened? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the church throughout all the region had peace. And he names Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Places that shouldn't have peace together, they have peace. And was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This doesn't make sense. This shouldn't be happening with these ethnicities and these divisions. The Holy Spirit emboldens us, brothers and sisters. And I get really specific. The Holy Spirit emboldens you don't take my word for it that's what jesus said he emboldens you to declare the gospel and he conforms us to the image of jesus doesn't he the holy spirit convicts us of sin and he's making us more and more like jesus go read first john this afternoon it's not that big of a book we're being conformed to the image of sin so that not only do we proclaim what Jesus said, but our lives also begin to look like that. You're not powerless. You're not, you're not alone. And this is all part of Jesus' plan. Look at verses 9 through 11 of our passage today. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, can we just be really honest with one another? 
this seems really odd. Am I the only one who thinks that? I mean, imagine being out here and somebody just going into the sky and disappearing. They don't have any rockets on them. They don't have any spacesuits, anything like that. Just a person. Sometimes we read the Bible and, and we forget like the supernatural. Like, of course he floated in heaven. He's Jesus. He floated into heaven. That seems odd to us. So what's going on here? Well, again, Jesus isn't taking a trip to the moon. He isn't trying to figure out what's going on on Mars. He knows what happened there. He made it. But notice, a cloud took him out of their sight. It says a cloud. Luke makes sure to say a cloud took him from out of their sight. You who know your Old Testament, do you remember anything about clouds in the Old Testament? Remember the one in the wilderness with Israel? What was that about? The presence of God. What about when that cloud filled the temple? What was going on there? The presence of God. Do you see what Luke is showing us? He tells us Jesus went to heaven, but just to make it clear, Jesus went into the very presence of God the Father into God's dimension of reality. I don't know how to explain it. I have lots of questions. But he went into God's dimension. He went to God's throne. And the early readers of the book of Acts all saw what was happening here. Do you remember Daniel chapter 7? That wonderful passage about the Son of Man? Listen to what Daniel wrote a couple hundred years before Jesus even stepped on this planet. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, you hear that? With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, this is Jesus' royal ascension to the throne. His cosmic throne. And don't you love the disciples? They're just staring into heaven. Jaws on the ground. And the angels are like, guys, what you saw, what are you doing here? Well, they're doing the same thing we would all be doing. Like, what is going on? And the angel says, look, what you saw happen here is going to happen again someday, someday, only in reverse. He's coming back. He will come back. And there's so much we could say about the ascension of Jesus. He's prophet. He's priest. He's king. But for now, let's just note what Peter says on Pentecost. Again, in Acts chapter 2, he says, this God, this Jesus, God raised from the dead, and we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see, Jesus ascended. He went up so that he could send out the Spirit. He didn't abandon us or he isn't taking a vacation. After his victory over death, he was exalted and enthroned at the right hand of the Father. This is what we call the ascension. And from there he sends his spirit and Jesus begins his heavenly reign. This is not a mere exit by Jesus, but an entry 
to God's throne where he rules history and builds his church as he promised until his glorious return. One day, this kingdom will fully and finally come, brothers and sisters. Like Jesus is coming back. But until then, we have work to do, don't we? But Jesus said, but not alone, not alone. Do you know the Greek word for witness? Of course you do. It's martus. Martus, where we get the word martyr. Acts chapter 7, there was a witness to Jesus that actually cost him his life. Stephen was proclaiming the word of God, and it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he, he actually gave his life for proclaiming Jesus. How, how do you have that boldness? I don't have that boldness within myself. Do you? I don't. How do you get that? Acts 7 says he was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And he looks at the people about to kill him and he says, Lord, don't hold this against them. How does that happen? He saw the ascended Jesus. And friends, by faith, by looking at his word, do you see him? Do you see Jesus ascended to the very throne of God, ruling and reigning history? Do you see him sending his spirit for you? I pray you do. Because when you do, it changes you. It emboldens you. Not only to give your life for Jesus, but to go a step further and ask for forgiveness to those whom are taking your life. You see, the ascension of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit emboldens us to proclaim the words of Jesus, but also to live like Jesus, to offer forgiveness to those who are enemies. Brothers and sisters, since Jesus is actively ruling, lead your family to know him. Raise your kids to know him. Because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, talk to your neighbors and co-workers. And you probably didn't come to Jesus the first time you heard about him. So don't, don't become distressed if they don't want to hear about it the first time. It takes patience. Since this is the greatest story to be a part of in history, testify to Jesus at school. Join a club in your community. You like sewing? Join a sewing club and meet other people. Whatever you like to do. Coach a team. You're a witness for Jesus. Three concluding thoughts from this passage. Humility, confidence, and urgency. What humility this should produce in our lives. That God could do all this himself. Or God didn't even have to send his son to rescue us. He could have left us go. But he chooses to use us. That should be extremely humbling in our lives. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It should humble us. Also should give us confidence. We are backed by the triune 
God. The timetable is set by the Father. We're ruled right now by the Son, and we're empowered by the Spirit. And brothers and sisters, you have a whole church. You're not alone because the triune God is with you, but you also have the people of God. It's not just witness, it's witnesses. We're in this together, so let's pray for one another. If you're not doing a good job being a witness for Jesus, talk to a brother or sister here. Confess your sins, repent, and let's figure out how to do this better. God's in the process of transforming us. Don't feel bad if you're not there yet. But don't stay the way you are either. Humility, confidence, and urgency. What urgency we should have. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. We don't know when. May the Lord find us faithful and actively being his witnesses. It's who we are as he returns. Christian, brother and sister in Jesus, you exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. You exist to bear witness to the world that Jesus is king. Would you pray with me? Father, we, again, even as I, I just said, I think what humility we ought to have that you would choose to use us to be your witnesses. You call us your body, Jesus, so that when people want to know what you're like or what you have to say, they're to look to us. May we not take that for granted or may we not ignore that. Even worse, may we not even believe that. Father, would you give us faith so that we believe this? I pray that you would give us confidence. We need you. We need your power. We need your ability to be witnessed personally and then as a, as a church. So would you help us do that? And would you help us to live with an urgency that you are coming back. Your kingdom is coming fully and all the wrongs will be right. Would you help us to be ambassadors, witnesses who announce this good news? And we ask this all in the great name of Jesus, through your spirit, amen.